This is Sophie Wilson. You are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Welcome to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. I'm Linus Wilson here in Horn Island, Australia in the Torres Strait on the Slow Boat. Uh, So it's about the end of June. Um, Since I talked to you, we did get our control permit from the ever-present Australian Border Force, which seems to make up a significant percentage of the population, at least here in Horn Island, they make up over 1% of the population. But we did get our control permit, and we got our cruising permit, and we went over the top of Australia, the northernmost point of the continent, and into the Indian Ocean. That's the good news. You know, the bad news is it kind of stinks to sail in Australia. And I'll tell you why. Uh, so I guess it might be okay to do some coastal cruising in the Sundays. It might be okay to do some coastal cruising around Sydney and Melbourne and other places. But if you're in northern Queensland, it's like no other coastal cruising that I've ever done. It is all the problems of offshore sailing with none of the benefits... And all kinds of things that want to sink your boat and uh, all kinds of obstacles. So, number one, Great Barrier Reef is ever-present. It, it, it uh, comes in closer as you get more northerly on the Cape York Peninsula, the point of Australia on the eastern coast. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, it has a lot of commercial shipping. There's a lot of commercial shipping going through it. There's a lot of reefs to hit, uh, both inside the barrier reef, and it provides absolutely no protection. So you want to, instead of having wave periods of nine seconds, you're having wave periods of one second, and you're, you know, you have waves of eight, eight feet, all the time because it blows like 25 knots in the uh, Cape York Peninsula all the time. I, we had one one calm where I was able to turn on the engine because the speed dipped below four knots, but otherwise, that was it. It was like five hours of calm, and then we had 30-knot winds later in the day. So, the good thing is that if you're going north, uh, if you're going northwest, then you, you've got wind at your back, more or less. The winds mostly blow from the south-southeast, the bad news is that, you know, they constantly are blowing at 25 knots. And, you know, if you have to pick up an anchor, especially if you're solo and you can't see exactly when the line is slack to when to pull it up. Uh, and like me, we don't have a windlass. You you have to run to the bow. Uh, it is very hard to anchor. It was the most difficult anchoring I've ever done. And it was also the... Most anchoring I have ever done in any cruising season within the, I want to say, 13, 14 days that I cruised from north from Cairns to the Torres Strait or Horn Island, Thursday Island. Uh, it, it, it was just, uh, my advice to you is go for the, the, the uh, capes, which typically have mud. Avoid the islands, which are surrounded by coral, tend to be very deep, close to them. 
they're not very good protection. Uh, if you anchor on rock or coral, uh, you can lose your anchor. Uh, we bet our anchor on a rock, and we also, uh, I had a heck of a time getting up an anchor, uh, which I thought was snagged on some sort of rock. And so, uh, they, be very selective about where you'll drop the hook if you ever do this. If I had it to do all over again, I would never go to Cairns. I would go straight to PNG, PNG to Torres Strait, and then Torres Strait to Darwin. Right, I would not stop at all in Queensland because going up the the Great Barrier Reef was so awful because there are no towns. So north of Cooktown, so the hundred miles north of Cairns is this little tiny hole in the wall called Cooktown, where uh, Captain Cook uh, repaired his ship after he hit a reef, and that is the last town and the last paved road and the last internet you're gonna get until you get to the Torres Strait, Horn Island, Thursday Island, which has about 650 people, but at least seven Australian Border Force officers, but I suspect more. I only counted seven in the boat that visited me. So the... I just, you know, I can't stress enough how remote it is. You're also, if you get out of the boat... You know, you're always warned about the crocodile risk. They, they, the government is focused on protecting the crocodiles and persecuting the cruisers. So I have to go to, uh, I'm going to Darwin next, right? So Darwin, Northern Territory, more of the xenophobic Australian policies of because I have a foreign yacht, even though I've been cruising in Queensland for a month. I have to get an inspection while a Queensland boat, which was in the marina with me, doesn't need to get one because I could possibly have muscles. Or a boat that sailed from New Zealand, sailed from New Zealand to Darwin. I don't know how you would do that, but that's a lot of ocean between New Zealand and Darwin. They don't need to get a muscle inspection, but me coming from Queensland... I need to get a muscle inspection before I can enter a marina. So what? Jan and Sophie are going to have to be, sit at a hotel while I am trapped in this government morass, which is Australia. You know, the government in Australia is focused on a xenophobia and persecuting foreigners, right? So I absolutely recommend to you if you want to visit a foreign country, don't visit this inbred backwater with no people in it, with the with the uh, land area the size of the lower 48 United States, but the population of Texas less than the population of Texas. That is Australia. There are no towns every anywhere. So like. I'm going to sail from Horn Island. So what are the towns between Horn Island, Thursday Island, with a really dangerous anchorage, but the government chose it, and so that's why we stop here, and that's why there's people here, and Darwin.
right? Darwin, capital of Northern Territories. There are two towns. There's a town called Weepa, which you go down on the eastern or the western side of the Cape York Peninsula, which I haven't been to, and go down south to find this little squat town, Weepa. Or you could sail across the Gulf of Carpentaria to this little squat town, this mining colony called Gove, right? Which also ha only has a few thousand people. Besides that, no people whatsoever for hundreds of miles of coastline. Hundreds of miles until I get to Darwin, there's no people. But we got to worry about the muscles that may possibly have come on my foreign boat because the Australians are xenophobic. So, uh, you know, I, I, I guess uh, maybe I should explain the cruise, right? So the problem with the Great Barrier Reef cruise is that because there are so many hazards, there's so many ships, so many reefs, no buoys, right? There's no buoys. There are some buoys marking reefs, but not every reef, right? You know, and you can't, it's not like you can, like, do 20-minute naps. I would not, if I had a crew member and we were running 24 hours, I would have to really trust that crew member. That crew member would have to be named Jana, my wife, because there's no other crew member that I've had on the boat that I would trust in such a dangerous place at night, right? The offshore passages, we see like a boat a day. You know, we see typically, uh, you know, a super t like six super tankers every day on the Great Barrier Reef on the York Peninsula, right? So very, very busy shipping lane, very narrow place, and reefs everywhere, coral islands everywhere where the reefs extend miles beyond the land that you can see above ground if you see the land at all right so it's not it's not a night sailing place i that being said there aren't enough safe anchorages to day sail it you know if your boat goes six knots which is what mine does if we're going we have a 25 knot wind constantly otherwise it typically goes four knots but even going six knots i had to do many darkness departures and just picking up an anchor in 25 knot winds with very little um uh with very little little uh ground cover is just really a difficult challenging situation regardless of your anchoring setup, right? So you're in the lee of an island. You hope that that keeps you in the lee of most of the winds. That is not the case in most of these little coral islets. So, you know, but the other thing is if you're at one of these capes, you may not get close enough to the land on the cape. And there was actually one of these capes, I want to say Cape Melville, maybe. I mean, it had willy waz constantly blowing off of it, but thankfully I picked up at a kind of a lull. Uh, so I, I'm very, uh, I tried my best to get a crew member for the Horn Island to, uh, you know, Darwin Passage. Um, but, you know, the, 
you know, all the recruiting this year was like delayed because of the xenophobic COVID policies of the Australian government. So we didn't know when we could go until February. Typically, I start recruiting earlier than that, uh, you know, and we have to worry about also the xenophobic policies of the New Caledonian government. Uh, so uh, it, it just the crew that I could get was only willing to do the offshore passage from New Caledonia uh, to uh, Cairns in this case, but Australia. I had never interviewed anybody that was willing to do the the rest of the trip. Never really had any strong candidates this year because, you know, the government has destroyed the governments around the world have tried to destroy cruising with their COVID zero policies. Uh, and you know, people just are not willing to do it. And it, you know, Australia is, uh, hard enough to get to if they're not pursuing a xenophobic policy and they're, which they are, uh, even now that they're letting people in, you know, uh, we're unfairly targeted all the time. So, uh, I think this, this passage coming up, uh, probably going to be three days, uh, and then I'm going to anchor over the top, this top island of Australia, I forget the name of it off the top of my head, and then maybe I'll anchor another place before coming into Darwin, and then Darwin I have to anchor until the government gives me permission to go into a marina, and maybe I'll never go into a marina in Darwin. Maybe I'm just going to anchor and then I'm going to haul out my boat. Uh, that might be what I do because of the xenophobic policies of the Northern Territory government. So, uh, I don't know. It just, it's been really hard uh, to deal with the weather, to deal with the government, to deal with the lack of people over this vast coastline. And why the Australians don't build roads, don't pull those people that they put in their xenophobic border force or their fisheries department, etc. We're also dealing with, you have to deal with, you know, you, you check in, you think you're done with biosecurity. No, biosecurity is going to be constantly hounding you for new things, right? So now they're worried about fruit flies. I've been in Australia the whole time. I'm not left Australia, but I have to fill out forms about fruit flies so to make sure I don't transfer fruit flies from Queensland to New T Northern Territory. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think any of these things make any sense. I don't, I don't think they, they make any sense, but there's a huge government regulatory apparatus all about making cruising the most difficult and uh, annoying pursuit you possibly can do. And then you have to deal with the not-so-wonderful, you know, 25-knot weather every day and the wild currents. So I got to tell you about the wild currents. Okay, so Horn Island here is the better anchorage. The government and all its stupidity decided to put their government things on the lee shore of Thursday Island. So everybody anchors on Horn Island. 
But they also chose a place that has four knot currents running through it, right? And this is the first town I've seen in 500 miles, first town since Cooktown. So I got to stop because even if the government didn't require me to stop, I got to stop because, hey man, it's a lot harder to coastal cruise inside territory than it is to sail offshore. If I were sailing offshore for 14 days, I'd be able to throw out my paper trash. I'd be able to, you know, get rid of most of my trash overboard, except for the plastics. But because I'm in the barrier reef, I can't get rid of any of my trash, right? I have to dispose of it in the next town I find, which is 500 miles from the nearest town. Um, you know, and I, I have to do it really slowly. I have to do the 500 miles really slowly because of all the, of all the shipping traffic and also, also all the reefs. And I don't have the benefit of any protection except a, a few select anchorages because the barrier reef is porous and it, it just makes the water rougher. It's not, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a lake. It's a, it's just a rough arm of the ocean of the continental shelf. Uh, and you, you know, it's not, it's not a comfortable cruising ground. It is not like being in a Motu and the two Motus. It is, it is, it is a very, uh, difficult, rough sailing environment within the barrier reef. Now, you would think, okay, well, you can snorkel all these things. Okay, if that is your intention to snorkel every reef in the barrier reef, that's great, and you have more more to choose from if you're not worried about the box jellyfish and the poison snakes or the seven-meter crocodiles. Good for you. Go snorkel all that stuff. Enjoy it. Make sure you take a lot of fuel. Make sure you, you've got a lot of food and a lot of water and a great water maker, etc., etc., because it's a long honking way until you're going to see another place. The other thing is it's a one-way trip. So the day that I left Cairns, right, so I checked into Cairns, spent nine days in Cairns, fixed up the boat, uh, took care of the... The engine problems didn't have any engine problems the whole time. The engine problems were from um, a the primary fuel filter, I believe, was sucking air from its bottom. I had a replacement version of the primary fuel filter, and that solved the problem. Never had any problem with the engine. Did not need to run the engine except uh, for anchoring and unanchoring. And, well, I think I am, like... A little rushed because of, you know, Janice's schedule that I got, uh, you know, I've been this season, I've, uh, you know, been at it for almost two months now. And, uh, you know, I've been in Australia for almost a month now. You only get three months in Australia, but it's a one-way trip from Cairns uh, to uh any place north. So once you leave Cairns, and definitely once you get north of Cooktown, you're not getting back south because the winds are so strong, the trade winds are so strong, 
you're going around the other way, right? At least this time of year. Now, maybe other times of the year, you're going to get some more variable winds, maybe some calms. You'll be able to make progress going south. But it's really kind of a one-way trip. In the same way that I said, I thought that, you know, once we leave New Caledonia, it's a one-way trip. We're not going to be able to go back to New Caledonia, right, because of the, the winds. But it's doubly so here because the winds are so much stronger. So instead of being 15 to 20 in the Coral Sea typically, or maybe 20 in the Coral Sea, they're typically 25 on the Cape York Peninsula. I think the winds are going to be a little bit, uh, they're still force five is the, the, the uh, uh, pilot charts but I, uh, for the uh, Gulf of Carpentaria and R4C, but I, you know, I think they're just a little bit lighter than the Cape York Peninsula, which is just really, really strong winds. The trade winds just kind of funnel up the Cape York Peninsula. I, the, the other thing I just find so sad about this that they have no roads, no settlements, no towns in Cape York Peninsula is that, you know, it's good land, right? It's good coastline. Uh, the, the Continental Divide uh, is very close to the East Coast, right? And so that's why most of the population should be on the East Coast is because the East Coast of Australia is going to have the most water, right? So all there are there are rivers. There's freshwater sources uh, on the east coast of Australia, which I went all the way up from Cairns to the top, and there's no people, right? Because it's a total waste. Because Australia is more concerned about harassing foreigners than it is about building roads, right? So that's why they have a big border force. Is why they target me. Uh, for the fisheries department in, in Northern Territory, even though it's absurd that, you know, conceivably, if I had these awful muscles on my boat that were, they would infect all the, the people within Queensland, and those boats could be infecting the Northern Territory, right? But no, because my boat is a foreign boat, I must be targeted, right? So even though, you know, there's no reason to suspect that the other Queensland boats, other boats coming from Queensland that shared marinas with me would not also be harmed. And of course, the whole New Zealand thing is so absurd uh, th that, you know, I, it's, just, it's just one more example of the xenophobia of the Australians which is they pursued a xenophobic policy in COVID. And that was because that's par for the course. The Australian border force issues that I brought up in the last uh, episode, those have, been, those have been leveled for decades, right? I'm not the first person to talk about that. It, it's, it's, it's the way the Australians are. And that's the way they treat foreign boats. So... Um, I didn't get to the, the, the current, so I'm going to get to the current and then I'm going to stop the podcast and we'll get back to the, I'll probably do another passage note podcast, uh, next, uh, next month. And then, then we'll go back to slow boat to Cuba. So, uh, the Australians, uh, 
so, so they have this current here in Horn Island. And so the current between Horn Island and Thursday Island, we're on the lee side of Horn Island and the windward side of, of uh, Thursday Island. Uh, the current, if the tide is going up, if the tide is rising, if it's a flood, it's flooding, then the current is four knots, up to four knots. And if the current is ebbing, the current is one knot. And the flood current sets you west, and the ebb current sets you east, right? So I'm anchored about 0.6 miles east of the dinghy dock, right? And so I've not used the, the dinghies in three years since we were in Vanuatu. Um, I don't know if I got out the outboard in Vanuatu. I kind of think I didn't. I think we just used the, the Walker Bay and rode it, right? It was just a nice little anchorage there in Tana. Uh, and we may have done some anchoring uh, and rowing. I think maybe I used the, the rib in, in Suva. Uh, but so basically both, I've got two dinghies. They're both about eight feet long. One's a rib that has an aluminum bottom, uh, it, which is a little bit faster with the, the outboard, uh, but slower if you're rowing it. And the, the Walker Bay is a little bit faster if you're rowing it and slower if you've got the outboard on it. And then you've got... You know, the I, I mean, the rib could conceivably plane. It's not going to plane with my two horsepower motors. I got a 2.3, which is what I use this time. Uh, Honda 2.3 and a, a 2.0 Honda. And so when I got out the dinghies, I uh, untied them when I got to Horn Island, uh, I, I was like, uh, the, the rib... It, it had a couple flaps in its corners that had kind of flapped up over the two years that it had been stored, right? And so I glued those, and it's, the glue says, let the glue set for 24 hours. So it let, let it set for 24 hours before inflating. So I used the rib, right? The rib, put I checked the, the Honda outboard. It was working. Um... But I was still not 100% familiar with it so um, because I just hadn't used it in a while. So the 2.3 tends to like to run hot, and it also tends to die after its first starting, right? So it kind of tends to die after its first starting, regardless, even if things are going right. So you should, you should kind of, like, run it before untying you know, for a few minutes, wait for it to die, restart it, um, and 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 that then it should work okay, right? But I wasn't familiar with that, and so it died the first time, and I was like, okay, now I'm gonna row, and so I rowed, and I was able to row, and it was a falling tide, an ebbing tide, and so we only had the minor current, right, less than one knot. So I got to shore, got to the dinghy dock, did my stuff, did. Uh, there was only one place to do laundry on both islands. There was a laundromat that whose dryers were all out of order, but their washers were working. And because it takes a ton of water and a ton of time to wash your clothes manually, which is what I was doing, I was washing clothes in a bucket. It takes two li two liters for one day's outfit uh, because I'm really careful with it washing from a bucket. And then I have to dry on my own 
Um, but that takes me a long time, and I only do it because I have nothing but time while I'm waiting for the boat to get to its next destination. Uh, but so I did get all the wet laundry. We got some fuel. There were kind of fuel. There were like fueling problems. There were fuel uh, place only accepted my credit cards once, and then it because it's like not a chip card place, and I think it's also. Uh, doing something that they don't let happen in the U.S. I think they're taking a deposit or something or ridiculous like that, uh, that a large deposit uh, that uh, I was not able to use it again. So I had to like find people that were going to go to this automatic pump. There was no no person manning it. I talked to the people that owned it. They weren't going to help with it. They're like, use your credit cards or nothing. Uh, and uh, so, so good Samaritans would, I'd give them $50 and they'd let me, they'd put in $50 on their credit card and then I would uh, get some gas so we could run the generator. Uh, so I got, I got the generator, I got the, the laundry, but the, the trip to, to Thursday Island took me back to a rising tide, right? We got to low tide and the tide started rising and the rising tide is the dangerous current and so the engines worked for at first and then it died and i started rowing one of the problems i had on the way up was one of the oarlocks broke but i was still i was still able to row back in there was a second set of oarlocks that were not very efficient but i was able to get in uh and somebody saw me while i was kind of struggling with the oars. I was still making progress at that point in the direction that I wanted to go. And uh, he offered to tow. He towed me, but the current was faster at Contango. Uh, he did not put me forward of Contango and just put me within 10 feet of parallel of Contango. And because the oarlocks were broken when he let go of the line, I was not able to make any progress and just... Uh, started falling backward, right? And so I, uh, one of the things I did because I thought it was a really dangerous anchorage was I put everything that I conceivably could have put in. I brought in the, the PLB, I had the sat phone, I had uh, the VHF, and I also had a dinghy anchor with 100 feet of rope, right? And so the dinghy anchor saved me and the VHF saved me because there are no cruisers here, right? There were no cruisers. There was this one boat that was kind of like following me or that was kind of on the same schedule as me, this uh, large catamaran, the Kathy O's. Uh, and then nobody, and like mo the most of the boats you see there uh, in the dinghy dock are actually local boats. They're people that are going, you know, from between Horn Island and Thursday Island or doing fishing or whatever with their 50 horsepower motors, right? And it, you know, a 14-foot aluminum runabout, typically. Uh, and so when when I call for assistance, I, I'm like, I'm, I have no propulsion. Uh, I'm anchored here. I'm, the current was drifting me. I'm worried uh, that I'm going to drift uh, through the channel into the uh, you know, past Thursday Island and, and out to sea, right? But at the moment, I'm okay. Uh, so uh, 
nobody responded to that, right? Because there were no cruisers there, right? There's really, there was nobody, there were some moored boats, but most of the people that were live aboards, there weren't many of them. Just not many of them because there's not many people cruising because it's such an awful cruising experience. And so the, the one good thing was the government, uh, but it wasn't actually the Border Force, which has a marvelous, beautiful uh, boat like the U.S. Coast Guard has there. The U.S. Coast Guard, if you've ever seen them, they have those uh, like 100 horsepower aluminum runabouts with the, the foam sides. They have the, same, the Border Force has the same thing, uh, except they, the, the, they're not orange, they're blue. Uh, but no, the border force didn't respond. Uh, the ports north, which is part of the Queensland government, uh, monitors the ports and they responded on the VHF and they got the private company, which runs very old ferries across the two places. Now the government can spend top dollar on boats for the border force. But in terms of ferries for its people, it's going to be a private company with 30-year-old boats. So anyways, it was the private company that came out and rescued me and towed me back to my boat. And thank you to Ports North uh, and the, uh, the Port Authority of, of Thursday Island organizing the rescue. And they, they instructed uh, the people that towed me that I had to be touching the boat. Uh, when they let go of my painter line. And so they uh, cleverly uh, had me uh, at the bow, and they uh, I had to instruct them that they had to go slower because they were at risk of swamping the the Walker Bay, which is cannot go faster than three knots. Otherwise, it will fill with... the its stern will pin down. It'll fill with water. Um, and... You know, with that current, it's actually quite hard to even make any progress at all um, when you have that constraint. But I did get out on the boat. Uh, after that day, I did not use the Walker Bay. Uh, I had ideas on how to repair the Orlocks, but uh, I think the Rib is a better boat for my purposes. I wanted to get water. Water is heavy. The Walker Bay has a limited capacity. Um, and the rib did great. We had no problems, no more drama, no more uh, emergency anchoring, uh, and that was how it went. So I'm still alive, even though, um, you know, I came kind of close to drowning when I got an anchor snagged. Um, kind of came close to sailing, uh, being pushed out to sea because of the the wild currents here, um, but I'm still alive. Contango's still intact. We've not lost uh, many systems. I think it, Contango's in better shape than uh, we started out the season in. So hopefully we'll have a good passage. Um, thanks for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Uh, we'll have an update on the next passage next time. And my advice to governments around the world, make it nice for people to visit your country and more people will visit and spend more money. Bye-bye.
Finally, I want to say thank you to Mantis Anchors. Uh, when our Mantis was bent uh, on a rock, uh, they quickly shipped out a replacement shank uh, for the the Mantis so we can anchor with it again very soon. Thanks, Phil Cutson, uh, for being so nice and so helpful uh, when Jana brought the, the issue of our uh, bent Mantis anchor. This was a sponsor of this podcast, but is no longer. Bye-bye.